Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. I want to thank all of my listeners, as I always do, um, who come back again and again and again uh, to listen to the words of wisdom from our authors. Um, without you, there would be no Inside Personal Growth. And today, joining me from Denver is Tommy Spaulding. And Tommy is the author of a new book called The Heart-Led Leader, How Living and Leading from the Heart Will Change Your Organization and Your Life. He also is the author of a New York Times bestseller, It's Not Just Who You Know. Good day to you, Tommy. How are you doing? Good morning, Greg. Oh, it's a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with my listeners to talk about heart-led leadership. I know it's an important topic, and um, it's really a topic that um, I believe um, most of my listeners probably know something about, but we're going to take a much deeper dive into. I'm going to let them know a bit about you, Tommy. Tommy is the president of Spalding Companies Corporation, a national leadership development organization. He's a speaker, trainer, and executive coach a world-renowned speaker on leadership. He's spoken to hundreds of organizations, associations, educational institutions, and corporations around the globe. His first book that we mentioned, It's Not Just Who You Know, uh, Transform Your Life and Your Organization by Turning Colleagues and Contacts into Lasting Genuine Relationships, Random House, published in 2010. And this book, as I said, is brand new in October of this year. Uh, Tommy rose to becoming the youngest president and CEO of the world-renowned leadership organization, Up With People. So that means he knows how to sing. Maybe we'll get him to sing today. <laughs> In 2000, Tommy founded the Leadership Challenge, which grew and became the largest high school civic and leadership program in the state of Colorado. He's also the president of Spalding Leadership Institute and the, founded the National Leadership Academy and Global Youth Leadership. So it's obviously he likes working with youth, which I've seen from his website. Um, uh, he was also awarded East Carolina University's Outstanding Alumni Award for the highest distinction awarded to alumni of the university. In 2009, he was appointed the university's first leader in re residence. And he says in one of his videos that he was so dyslexic that he was lucky that he actually graduated. <laughs> so... I understand that one. You know, I had a bit of that dyslexia myself. So I think it goes around for all great people. So, you know, Tommy, you mentioned that heart-led leadership covers 18 inches from the head to the heart. Um, how do you show leaders today, um, you know, in kind of the green leaf, green leaf leadership model? You know, if you turn the model upside down, which you should. Um, to to take that journey from their head to their heart. Mm. Well, well heartland leadership, I believe, is a, is a leadership philosophy. And, you know, we, we have a religious philosophy. You know, we, we choose what faith we or religion we want to belong to. We have a political philosophy. Um, but we never really ask ourselves, Greg, what's our leadership philosophy? Are you a servant leader? Are you a self-serving leader? What kind of leader are you? And I believe heartland leadership is the greatest leadership philosophy Heartland Leadership's core, Greg, is servant leadership, and there's hundreds and hundreds of books on servant leadership and thousands of years of history of servant leaders. But one thing I recognize as I've spoken to organizations and read about leadership and studied leadership 
is that servant leadership is never really attached to results. Servant leadership is always like a good thing for culture, a touchy-feely thing, a wonderful thing for, for morale, but does it really affect the bottom line? And what I did in this book is I interviewed CEOs and companies from all over the country and all different sizes is if you use servant leadership as your leadership model, um, what kind of results do you get? And the results that I found, Greg, were outstanding. That mm-hmm. heart-led leaders that, that really truly lead with their heart produce better results. No doubt. And, you know, one of the people that exemplifies amazing leadership, and I recently did an interview with an author on a book about our current pope. And I have a question about that, you know, because this pope has become one of the most transparent, outgoing, and exemplifying what most people would say is an amazing, not only spiritual leader, but politically setting the tone. What is it about the current Pope and his heart-led leadership that you believe makes him so much different than anybody else, Tommy? Greg, you said the word, and it was the word transparent. And I believe um, the 18-inch journey from the head to your heart, there's 18 inches between your head and your heart, and great heart-led leaders connect the head and the heart. And what I did with this book is I picked 18 qualities that I feel that true heart-led leaders lead with. And number three on that list of most important qualities that you need as a leader is transparency. And I wrote a great story about a Fortune you know, 500, an S&P 500 company that totally turned around this company through transparency. We're talking about the Catholic Church with a lot of upset people uh, and a lot of dis- disenfranchised Catholics, uh, me being one of them, um, have growing you know, just incredible support around the world for this pope because he's probably one of the most transparent leaders in this generation. Mm-hmm. And he exemplifies what I would say is just as a leader, someone who's the people's people. And we're going to talk about that as well, because, you know, he's come out, you know, he doesn't stay in his Pope mobile and he doesn't, you know, he goes out and reaches and touches the people, which is so important. And that is this heartfelt part of this. Now, Tommy, you had a mentor by the name of Anthony D'Aquania. I think that's how I pronounced it. Um, what did Anthony teach you? I mean, look, this guy was a hairdresser. Um, about leadership. <laughs> Anthony D'Aquani is an Italian guy. Yep. And he, actually was my gran- he actually was my grandfather. And I, uh-huh. I, I opened the book with, with the story about him because he was a hairdresser. He was very humble. Uh, he grew up in a two-bedroom apartment with four daughters, one of them my mother. His wife, Helen, um, of 57 years, would wash the hair, and then he would cut the hair. He had a hair salon in White Plains, New York. Mm-hmm. And he was in love with my grandmother. They held hands. They kissed. They danced in the kitchen. They were just wonderful and loved people. And I grew up watching them and their love story. And um, when, when my grandma was older, she had a stroke, and it really devastated my grandfather because she went to the nursing home, and the physical therapist and the doctor said my grandma would never walk again because of the stroke and uh, Medicaid and Medicare didn't pay for the physical therapy. And so they gave up on her. And so she was basically but spend the rest of her life in the nursing home. And my grandfather just refused uh, to accept that. So he would go to the nursing home every morning, Greg, and, uh, you know, work on her legs and, you know, move, move her legs and work on her physical therapy. And, um, 
eventually the, the, the general manager of the, of the nursing home facility gave my grandfather a key because he would be the first one at the door every morning at 6 o'clock waiting to get in to help his wife. And he was the only, he was the only citizen ever to actually get his own key to the nursing home. Anyway, three years later, my grandmother walked again, and, uh, and she defied all the odds. Unfortunately, she had another massive stroke, and she would spend the rest of her life in the nursing home, never walking or speaking again. But my grandfather lived in his late 80s, and um, he had a brain tumor, uh, and, he, and he passed away. And on his deathbed, he was in his home, and his, all his daughters and his, his grand, grandkids and you know, all his nieces and nephews and all the people that loved him were around his bedside. And everyone was telling my grandfather how much they love him. I love you, Papa. I love you, Anthony. I love you, Grandpa. And the last words that he said, Greg, were, don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. Show me. And show me were his last two words, and he passed. And those are the words I believe, Greg, are the most important words of servant heart-led leadership is we do a great job telling the world what we want to do, but show your customers, show your husband, show your wife, show your employees, show your investors, show your board uh, donors, show the people in your life that you love them, that you care about them. And that is what true servant heart-led leadership is all about. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, this book is loaded with great stories, Tommy. You've you've got lots of stories in here, but you you tell a story, and it was interesting. As I was going through the book, I was thinking about this Frank DeAngelis, who was the principal at Columbine. And in the wake of the San Bernardino shootings, you you tell this story, and it's obviously at the forefront of almost every American's mind today. Is mm-hmm. what happened here close to my home? Um, just last Wednesday. What can people learn about Frank DeAngelis's heartfelt leadership and what advice do you have for our leaders, including our president last night, who did a talk about this, about these San Bernardino shootings and to not be fear in fear? Mm. Frank DeAngelis, in my opinion, is one of the greatest heart-led leaders in the country. He's he, he, humble as they come, but he really understands what love is all about. And he was principal of Columbine High School during the tragedy in 1999 when uh-huh. two gunmen came in and killed 12 um, innocent you know, students. And that was really the first massive school shooting in America. And uh, you know, most principals would have quit or most principals would have retired early because to deal with that tragedy uh, it was, was devastating to the community. But Frank went back to school, and he promised the, the graduating seniors that, that, they, that they were going to graduate and he, that he wanted to change the culture of that school. Because if you really um, understood Frank, even though he was a wonderful principal and that Columbine was a very successful school, he realized that there was two human beings that didn't feel loved, and didn't feel accepted in the culture of Columbine High School. And those kids to- chose to, to do a horrific crime uh, to others. And so he felt that he needed to change the culture of that school. So he made a promise to himself. He, he made a promise that the, that the elementary school kids that were alive and in elementary school the day of the tragedy, he, he promised himself that he was going to change the culture and he was going to, he was going to, stay principal of that high school 
until the elementary school kids that were alive that, that morning of that tragedy graduated his high school 12 years later. And I got, I got a chance to meet that graduating class and speak to them. And, and, and I got to visit Columbine High School numerous times because Frank is probably one of my five best friends in the world. And what I learned uh, is that he took this school of horrific crime, of school shootings, uh, and 12 years later, it was a beacon of love and hope. And if you walked the halls of Columbine High School, you know, last year, as his last year as principal, and you would never, ever believe, ever believe that there was a school shooting in that school 12 years before. He totally changed the culture through love, loving the teachers, the parents, the students, all students, the football students, the, the geeks, the nerds, the jocks, the athletes, the, the smokers, the, 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 the dancers, the, the, all types of kids. He built a culture of total acceptance, which was really remarkable. Well, he obviously was able to do that with inside the confines of the school, but uh, given the situation um, of what's going on at the regional center up in San Bernardino, do you have any advice for those leaders or some of those people that might be listening to this podcast as a result of Frank's experience? Well, what happened there was absolute tragedy. I mean, it's just any school shooting, any public shooting is a, is a total tragedy. But what happens is some people, they close off and they lose hope and they lose love and they get hardened, especially the victims and their families. But even meeting some of the families and victims of the Columbine, uh, they, they try to find good out of it. And love always prevails. You know, mm -hmm. evil, evil can win short term. Evil definitely has its punches, but I believe love always prevails. Well, that's, that's great advice. Now, one of the things that you have in here, as I said, is just great stories. And you talk about T. Green with relation to, you call it rule number 45 as a heartfelt leader. Can you tell us a little about his story and why it's a great example of what you're speaking about with relation to heart-led leadership? Yeah. You know, some of my stories are, 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 you know, talking about schools and prisons and nonprofits and so forth. But most of the stories in my book are business stories because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a business author. And T. Green, in my opinion, is probably one of the greatest business leaders in America. And he's a young guy. He's probably in his early 40s, if not 40 years old. He's the founder of a company called Greenway Health and Greenway Medical. And what that is is basically electronic medical records. So, Greg, if you go to the dentist, if your wife goes to the gynecologist or the doctors, you know, everyone has a paper file on you your whole life. Well, our kids and our kids' kids are not going to have paper files. They're doctors. It's all going to be electronic. And they'll be able to track your health through, our, through a microchip of all your health, uh, dental, medical, and your entire life. And that's incredible, you know, health progress thing. He founded that technology, his company. But what makes T. Green incredible is not that he built a multi-billion dollar company. But he built it through leading with the heart. Rule number 45 is he has 45 rules how he leads his company. And rule number 45 is do right. And that means he always does right with his people. And I've never seen a culture ever of a company that size with thousands of employees that have visited campuses and, and seen it's the people that work for him. Is They all have this incredible humility and love for serving people. And T. Green is all about 
vulnerability and transparency and humility when he speaks to his clients and he speaks to his people. And I've been to a conference with him speaking to five or 6,000 doctors that use his medical software in their practices and how transparent and vulnerable and real and authentic. And people are starving that kind of leadership. You know, when he's in meetings with his staff, he's known for using whiteboards. And every time he walks into a room and uses a whiteboard, he does one thing, Greg. It's part of T. Green's ammo. He goes to the bottom right corner of the whiteboard, and he writes a number. He's been doing it for years. You know what that number is? It's number is how many families work for Greenway. How many families does he, uh, or is he responsible for? And he always reminds himself who he serves as people. Wow. It's just an incredible story. That's great. Great. He's exemplifying what you are trying to speak with your audiences about getting. And in the process of that, you talked about a story when you were a kid and you had to have some stitches and you talk about the pain of our children. I mean, I know that I had a son who got leukemia at 21. And, and when we're in these situations where our children are hurting, we do want to take on that pain. And the goal of a heart-led leadership, as you mentioned, is responding from our hearts like we would for our children, you know, wanting to do that. How do we teach compassion for others in a world that's really, if you look at it from a, in a lot of elements, and I don't want to just say this from the negative side, but it's caught up in self-indulgence. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're, first of all, Greg, I'm sorry to hear about your son. I hope, he, I hope he's okay. He is still alive and taking a medication called Spry Cell. So Good. Uh, amen. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I think the story you're talking about is my mother. When I was a young kid in third grade, I was on a hike. Right. Field, yeah, field trip you fell down. Fell. You had to get some stitches. Yeah. I had to get some stitches, <laughs> and I went, went to the hospital, and I was like six, seven, third grade, and, and I had glass in my hand, and I had to get glass pulled out and stitches, and I was crying. I just did not handle it well. And I was freaking out, screaming, yelling, crying. And the doctor allowed my mother to come into the emergency room and to hold my hand while I'm getting stitched up. And my mother was a very strict Italian Catholic, very strict, incredibly strict. But she said to me at that day, probably the most beautiful word she's ever said to me. She leaned into my ear, Greg, and she said, Tommy, if I could take all the pain for you, I would. Mm-hmm. And it just made me realize how much she loved me. And I never understood the power of those words until I had my own kids, until I had my own children and know I would do anything for them. But the reason why I wrote that story in the book is that all parents, all mothers and fathers would say that would do anything for their kid. But they leave that kind of love, that kind of commitment at home to their family. Right. That kind of love should never go in the workplace. And my argument is that's wrong. It should. The greatest leaders that I've met, the great leaders that I've wrote in this book, they bring that kind of love to the workplace. Now, a lot of them don't even say the word love, but they show the word love and they commit to their employees and their people in a way that's like you commit to your family. And that kind of love belongs in in the workplace. Now, one of the things, like we said earlier, the first question was about your 18 inches from your head to your heart. And you've created, I don't want to call it an acronym, but every one of these inches has a little message in the book. Um, and the first one is love. So how does love 
as we've talked about kind of winding through this interview, um, get uh, embedded into the culture of an organization. I remember that, um, you know, we can go back a ways with Southwest Airlines, right? And they have the heart all over everything. And the leader, uh, pardon me for forgetting his name right now, but he used to walk through the hallways and hug people, love people, and that's what he did. And he's in every great leadership video that's out there. How do you get that into the culture of an organization, Tommy? Yeah. Well, first you have to understand love. This is not romantic love. This isn't touchy love. You could, you could be a, a leader, heart-led leader, with unbelievable love and never touch anybody, never hug anybody, never tell anyone you love them, and never sell, send a smiley face you know, icon email or text to anyone and still show it. This type of love is this deep commitment, deep humility, deep vulnerability, deep transparency, this real deal quality that people are starving for with leadership and bringing that type of love. If you love what you do, if you love the people you work with, if you love the mission of your organization, if you love who you serve, how could you not build an incredible culture of results? And that's what the heart-led leadership is all about, is bringing that type of love to work. One of my favorite quotes is a guy named Steve Farber. He's written some great books. He's a mentor. Good friend of mine. I, I, Steve I, I, is I good. love Steve he Farber. Lives out, he, yep, he lives here in, San in Poway. Diego. He's a really good friend of mine. Yep. He's interesting. He, I, I think he's the real deal, and he, he talks about one of his books about love, and um, you know he says if you look up the word love in the dictionary, it, it doesn't say not applicable Monday through Friday nine to five. It, it just doesn't say that. That love should be in the workplace. It's just how you handle that, and I think the great heart-led leaders know how to truly care about the people they work with and how they serve people. So now let's talk about humility. I mean, that in my interview with the gentleman who wrote the book after he studied the Pope, uh, humility was a big one. And it's not about you. You say it in your book that it's not about you. Um, what is it that in this heart-led leadership that you can help people become more humble? What is it that you would tell them about humility that's so important. Yeah. So if you think you're a heart-led leader, if you're listening to this and you read my book and say, oh, I'm a heart-led leader, you're probably not. You know, when I went out and I wrote this book, I had a list of about 25 to 30 of the greatest leaders that I've ever met, leaders that have transformed companies, leaders that just did incredible things in business and nonprofits. There's a guy named Burl Kane that I talk about in the book that ran a prison that had unbelievable results. I, I found basically the greatest leaders in the, in the world that I've, I've known and met, that I've loved, that I've admired. And I went to all of them and I told them that I want to choose 18 of you and pick 18 qualities that I believe are the heart-led leaders. And I'm going to write a chapter about you in the book. And I, what I, can I feature you? And Greg, you know what every single one said? Everyone across the world. Everyone said the same thing when I said it. You know what they said? You got the wrong guy. Right. You got the wrong girl. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not the real deal. I'm not the heartless leader. I got such a, a much longer go to, on that journey. They all deflated the compliment. And that's what humility is all about, is humility is embracing the most four important words of leadership. And you mentioned them before, Greg. If people say to me, Tommy, what's the most important four words of leadership? 
if I want to understand leadership, what's the most important four words? And these are the words. It's not about you. Right. And people want to say they believe that. People want to write mission statements on their walls and print little cards for all the you know, employees to understand the mission about how much they serve people. But the truth is, of all the leaders in the world, that 10% of them really, really, really live, it's not about you. 90% of people that call themselves heart-led leaders or call themselves servant leaders or think they're great leaders, they're really not. They're really not living. It's not about you. Because when you truly live heart-led leadership, there's such a deep humility about you. And to me, the most important quality of all the 18-inch journey qualities of any leader is humility. Because people want to follow people that are real and authentic. And when you're deeply humble, you know it's not about you. It's about other people. Now, one of the things you talk about in in the inches, this is eight, inch eight is faithfulness. You know, people go through ups and downs, Tommy, and they have to deal with, and especially leaders, um, the challenges, loss, um, you know, devastation of their business, life-changing circumstances personally, and still have to get up in the morning and put one foot after the other. Mm-hmm. These heartfelt leaders have to, as you say, fulfill their potential one step at a time. Mm-hmm. What do you do to help people find the faith and hold the faith so that as a leader, they have the strength to show others who are following them that these circumstances can be overcome. You know, you always hear that quote that, you know, you really find someone's character when they, not when they, you know, reach success, but when they touch failure, you know, when they have challenge in your life, you understand someone's character. And I think faithfulness is such an important quality of, of, of heart-led leadership because it's inevitable in your marriage, with your kids, in your life, in your personal lives, in your business. With your employees, investors, you're going to get burned. I've gotten burned three or four times. I got burned when I worked for up with people. I love that organization more than anything. Spent my life giving to that organization, believing it more than anything. And when I left the CEO, I got burned by some really bad people. I've gotten burned from employees. I've gotten burned from um, partners that, that I've worked with in organizations. And I've gotten burned with people that I truly love from family members. And it's easy to get angry and to be resentful and to have hate and to get hardened. But true heart-led leaders know that these are all part of the journey. And you have to lead through all that with love and forgiveness. And I've been challenged with that. I've had a hard time forgiving people that have wronged me. I've had a deep time um, forgiving people that have really done bad things to me. Um, but that's what God calls us to do is forgive. But I also think that's what leaders calls us to do is to have faith that the good always outweighs the bad, that there's always a few bad apples that are going to try to take you down. My dad always says the flag always blows the strongest on the top of the flagpole. And so if you want to be a leader on top of the flagpole, the wind's going to be strong and you're going to get try to get knocked down. And there's jealousy, there's insecurity, there's a lot of self um, serving people out there that want to take down good, good, but great leaders know how to work through all that and let that pass them because that's the one percent, five percent rule. That the other nine percent is all good, and the faithfulness 
to know that the journey will get, will reach the rainbow at the end of the side is what really makes great heartly leaders. They can go through obstacles and go through challenges and go through hardships with love in their heart and not getting hardened. Yeah. And, you know, you definitely exemplify it with the stories in the book and obviously the people who've endorsed your book as well. A good friend of mine, Ken Blanchard endorses this and Daniel Pink and quite a few others. I just wanted to thank you for writing a book that is weaves in great stories, but also gives 18 major points that people could really focus on to become better leaders. It's the 18 inches from your head to your heart. Tell me, where would you direct people to watch videos, find out more about you? I know it's tommyspalding.com. And for my listeners, that's T-O-M-M-Y-S-P-A-U-L-D-I-N-G.com. Do you have other places like YouTube channel, Facebook, other things you want to let people know about? Yeah, but, but tommyspalding.com is probably the best place. And, of course, I'm in all the social medias, and my books are in Barnes & Nobles now and at the airports and uh, Amazon. Um, but uh, uh, com is the best place to reach me. Well, for my listeners, again, we've been on with uh, Tommy this morning speaking about his new book called The Heart-Led Leader, How Living and Leading from the Heart Will Change Your Organization and Your Life. And again, there are 18 principles outlined in this book that I think anybody should pick this book up to read and understand. And as Tommy said, that's the 18 inches from your head to your heart. And once you start leading with your heart, you're going to find amazing things will happen not only to you, but to your organization and to all the people within it. So go out, get Tommy's book, transform yourself and transform your organization. Thanks, Tommy, for being on. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Craig.